and Gigi were like totally live. What's up, you guys, and welcome back to another riveting episode of OMGG, the podcast. So today is Friday the 13th, one of my favorite days whenever it occurs. And you know, or maybe you don't know because you didn't see the first episode. If you haven't, what are you doing? Go back and watch it. But I did say every Friday the 13th, we would be focusing on a true crime case. However, it is the month of March and March is the month of women because we need a whole entire month to honor all of the things we do and all of the shenanigans that we deal with and how we make everybody else's lives better just by being us. So I had to pick someone in the true crime community or a victim from the true crime community, I should say, that really was an example of that. So the person that I picked is actually, or I should say was, unfortunately, was an activist and was making the best efforts efforts that she could to create positive change in the black community and really pushing the Black Lives Matter movement back in 2015. And that's Sandra Bland. Now, this is one of the most bizarre cases of modern day I think I've ever heard. I mean, a lot of the old true crime cases, you know, things that happened years ago can be very perplexing just because, you know, you don't have footage like you do nowadays for these kind of cases. But when you have footage and it's still perplexing... With video evidence, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. But you know what? Let's just get right into it. So Sandra Bland was a activist and she was doing her part to make positive changes in the black community and really shed light on a problem that was going on with the way that blacks, especially black males, were being treated by the police department. She was originally from Chicago, Illinois, and she had just gotten a position at a college in Texas that she had attended. So she was an alumna of this college. And on her way back from that college, filling out paperwork, she was pulled over by an officer for a traffic violation. And the traffic violation she was accused of was not using her blinker. Now, the officer, in my research, I did read in a few different articles that this officer that pulled her over was kind of notorious for pulling people over uh, for not so serious crimes. So like not changing your, not using your blinker to change lanes. I don't know about in other states, but in New York, that's usually something that you'll get tried with at the end of the month when the officers are trying to like meet their quota. So I'm not really sure if that's the reason why, um, Or not, but either way, that's how she was pulled over. Now, the camera in the officer's car was filming the whole entire interaction. And from 2015 until mid-2019, that was the only video evidence that we had of the whole entire incident. Until 2019, when a 39-second clip was released of a video that Sandra herself had taken. So you got to see 39 seconds of one particular situation from her perspective. And I must say, it was very interesting to see. However, he pulls her over and he asks her, what escalates the situation is that he asks her to put out her cigarette. And she said, why? I'm in my car. I'm not doing anything. 
Like, what do I need to put my cigarette out for? And um, that's when everything just escalated incredibly high. At one point, when the officer told her to get out of her car and she, um, when she, wait, let me back up. When she refused to put out her cigarette, the officer wanted her to get out of her car and she said, why? And he said, get out of your car now. She said, why? And he took out his stun gun, put it to her face and said, get out of the car or I will light you up. And this is just an example of the excessive force that was used. Um, even the police department went on to say during, you know, the investigation and the, the, the court proceedings that a lot of his tactics were not according to proper procedure. And I think even if you're not a police officer, just as a civilian, you kind of know that, right? Because, you know, as a teacher, no matter what a child does to irritate me, I'm expected to keep my composure because that is my career. The same thing goes for police officers. It's just very interesting the amount of slack that one profession gets over the other when someone really pushes their authority or really pushes, you know, that boundary, right? So, like I said, in 2019, we do see a 39-second clip specifically of him saying that he would light her up with the taser in her face from Sandra's perspective. And honestly, seeing it from her perspective was a lot scarier because from the officer cam, you just see him outside of her car. But from her perspective, you really see like that taser in her face. And it was very interesting because during the court case, he tried to say that he feared for his life and that he thought she had something in her hand. But it was very clear from her videotape that it was a cell phone. It was very clear. So, and just very interesting. So, the officer um, was convicted of perjury because of that claim. And what they did was they made a deal with him. They said that if he promised to never be a cop again or to never practice law again they would drop the perjury charges because the video, both his cam and her cell phone camera showed that he never once was in fear of his life. Now, while I'm a big proponent for not telling someone how they should feel or how they should react in their feelings, um, I mean, I get it. You know what I'm saying? Because if... They really wanted to go that route, which they really weren't in the position to do so. They could have went the route. Well, he pulled out the taser because she was being combat combative and he felt scared. But they really had no leg to stand on, especially at this point of the story. So she was arrested and her bond was set for $5,000. And apparently how it works through my research her bond was set for $5,000, but she only had to come up with 500 of those dollars. And not only, because $500 is a lot for some people, for a lot of people, it's a lot for me. But she had to come up with $500 in order to be able to leave jail. And the reason why a bond is set is because they deem you a flight risk or they think that you're too dangerous in society to, to be let out. None of which she was ever evaluated or assessed to be. 
which was interesting. So she ended up staying in there for three days, three days in the jail because she could not meet her $500 bond for whatever reason. So while I was researching this, the first thing I was trying to figure out was, well, why was she arrested? And all the research went back to, in the state of Texas, if you do not use your turning signal, now pay very close attention to this because this might save somebody's life. I don't mean that in a, you know, funny kind of a way, but I mean, I don't know. In the state of Texas, if you do not change lanes, if you do not use your turning signal while changing lanes, it's considered a criminal offense, or at least it was in 2015, according to my research. So... That's why she was arrested. So I needed to understand that first because I was like, why was she arrested? I, I really couldn't figure it out. So along with my research, I found out that the officer was going to let her go with just a warning, but he accused her of kicking him and he decided to charge her with assault, with assaulting of an officer. Now, I don't know where that came from because I don't believe that anyone could be that ridiculous enough I don't want to say stupid because that's kind of offensive, but I don't think anyone can be really that ridiculous enough to know that their actions are being filmed on camera to make up a lie and say that someone did something that they didn't do, knowing that they could easily go back to a camera. But that's allegedly what was said according to my research. Now, I was really, really, really confused because according to a video surveillance camera, by the third day... Sandra had been switched. So when she first got there on the first day, she was put in a cell right there in front of a camera. By the third day, she had been moved to a cell off camera. And apparently her cell was near the exit door. Now, I was really confused because if you research this case, you can find a surveillance video of when she was first found. Now, in the surveillance video... You do see a cop went in to check on her. And according to that cop, she said that she was fine. But less than an hour later, another officer checks on her and sees her hanging from her privacy partition in her cell. Now, in the public announcement, the speaker said her feet were still touching the floor when found. Now, I'm confused for a couple of reasons on this as well. Number one, why did they change her cell from in front of the camera to off of the camera? That I'm I'm very interested in knowing. Like, and I'm not asking that in a facetious way. I genuinely would like to know. Like, was it because that cell is mainly just to house people for one day, you know, and they moved her to another cell because she was there for more than a day? Or was it something more sinister? I don't know. I wasn't there, you know? Um, my second question why did that second officer walk in and automatically bend down? So when the first, when we first see the officer go in and quote-unquote ask her if she's okay, there's somebody else already in that room. And there's a door open, a second door open. The first door is open is a door that you can see. You see the cop go in. But there's already somebody else standing in that hallway and it looks like a cell door is open. Now, when the second cop goes in, she opens the door and she automatically looks down like she bends down as if she's, I guess, looking under the door. 
I didn't understand that. Now, I'm not there. They don't show the cell. You don't get to see how the room is set up because to me, it's like if there's a window, even if there's just a window on the door, wouldn't you have been able to have just seen that she was hanging instead of needing to look down under? Like, I don't know. That was really confusing to me. So she bends down and she like she automatically bends down like she walks straight into the room and bends down automatically. Now, I, I, I don't know, like that one thing I just found really, really suspect. Like and again, I'm trying to play devil's advocate and really try to be neutral and see it from both sides of the situation but that's just really sus to me because it's like something like that just seems really really staged you know what I'm saying like it just I don't know it just seems staged now the third thing if you hear my people rustling in the background I apologize it's because your girl took notes while she researched because you know we're getting older we don't remember things as well as we used to so the third thing that confused me was they showed an officer walk in for several seconds and that was where she had claimed that she was fine right now I talked about this but there appears to be another person already in the hallway when the officer goes in to check on her and there appears to be another door open. Now I want to know who is that other officer and what was that door that was open because the door that was open was to the right which was on the same side as the cell that she was supposedly housed in. So according to that video it looks like it is a like cell door that's open and not the exit door that was open. Now, I know that there are tons and tons and tons of conspiracy theories on her mugshot. They're saying that predominantly that her mugshot was taken with her already dead lying down on the floor of the jail cell. And there were a lot of people that went in with Photoshop and showed how it's easy to Photoshop that picture from being alive to being dead. They went in, people went in and they analyzed like um, how her shoulders fell compared to uh, someone's shoulders when they're standing up. They compared pictures of her standing up and sitting down to her mugshot. And I mean, look, this is what I'm going to say. It's very easy to see what you want to see, right? Now, I'm not trying to sound like I don't believe that there was something sketchy about Sandra Bland's death because I do think that there was something sketchy about her death. The whole entire thing just seems really weird. It's not clear. It's not concise. It's not cookie cutter. There's a lot of things that just do not make any sense to me about her death. Like, I'm not even going to lie about that. But... I will say that when you have your mind made up about something, it's very easy for you to view it only in that way. And I had to really look at that mugshot personally and put all, all thoughts, all assumptions aside. And the criminal justice Gigi really had to come out and look at that mugshot. Not the black female Gigi. Not the black female that knows what's going on and is very much woke about, you know, 
being a black woman in America or just being black in general in America. Like I just I had to remove that part of myself. And I will say in the photo, she has it's either dreads or twists. I'm not really sure. But in the photo, her mugshot. If you're standing straight up and you have braids, dreads, or twists, which are very easy to see because they're they're singular and they're defined, they should be hanging straight. In her mugshot, on her right side, which as the viewer of the photo is the left side, it looks like it's laying down. And even when you look at the shadow, the shadow of one particular lock in her hair and that mugshot just doesn't look right for someone who would be standing up. And that's all I'm going to say. And I looked at that photo for a very, very, very long time. I saw what they were saying about how the arms, uh, about how the shoulders are not dropped in the appropriate way and this, that, and the third. But for me, removing myself and really looking at it, that one lock of hair and the way that the shadow is falling on it and just the way that it's positioned, it does look to me like she's laying down. Either way, this case is one of those cases that is just sad and completely senseless. Utterly senseless. Um, I've also heard that she had mental issues and was not provided her meds while she was in-house. And that's why they think she hung herself. But all of her family and friends say that she was not capable of doing said things and she had never spoken about doing said things. I do not know. That specifically, unless someone can provide me with her medical records, is all hearsay. You know what I mean? I will say, however, this case is very, 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 very sinister. And I have a lot of questions. And I really wish that I could have been a fly on the wall to see what went down in the DMs of this case. I feel that way about all the true crime cases that I cover and just all the murder mystery cases that I've ever read about or I've ever seen or I've ever heard about, whether from class or from just television, newspapers, whatever. But I would really love to have been a fly on the wall for that one because there's so many things missing. And I really went in to do research to find out like how long it takes for someone to die from from hanging. And the fact that they said that her feet were still touching the ground, I, I'm trying to, and I'm not trying to sound morbid, but like I'm just trying to get a visual aid of how she hung herself and died while her feet were still touching the ground for the most part. And her body was discovered less than an hour from the last time they saw her. Like, according to my research, it takes roughly, what was it, six minutes? It takes roughly six minutes for someone, for the brain to die, just for the brain to die. So, I, I don't know. I There's just some things that just, and she was a very tall woman. You know, she wasn't short. If she was like, like, granted, I don't know how high the partition is, but it couldn't have been that tall for the man to have said that her feet were still slightly touching the floor. Um, 
and you know, I'm trying really hard to be, you know, impartial. I'm trying really hard to just present you guys with the facts and just give my straight opinion. But there's just so many things that like I just I don't get it. So many question marks. But I do know, regardless, this was a sad, senseless death. It really was. The fact, it all goes back, even forgetting about, you know, her being arrested and how that all went down. That was sad. That was ridiculous. That was senseless. But if we were to take that same exact situation, right, and move it, all right, it happened. We can't control that that happened, you know, and we know that her murder or her her death, we'll just say her death, didn't happen when she was pulled over, right? It happened while she was in jail. And the fact that she was in jail for three days because she couldn't post bond is what didn't make any sense to me. Now, like I said, according to my research, bond is only set when the person is seen as a flight risk, meaning that they think the person would flee the state or flee the country to get away from their crime, or they are deemed too dangerous to be on the streets. So I don't understand why she was given such an excessive bond for basically just being combative towards a police officer, which is not a crime to be combative towards a police officer. I mean, it's not nice and it's not smart because we know that they have a lot of power in places that we have no control over, you know, the police department. But it's not illegal to be combative. Now, if it is illegal in your state to be combative, it's a, if it's illegal to be combative towards a police officer in the state of Texas, someone please hit me up on any one of my socials and let me know, all OMGG underscore 1989. But, I mean, I just think it really went from a... And again, I don't want to say that breaking a law is ever minuscule, but it went from getting a ticket for not changing lanes to her being dead in a jail cell after sitting there for three days. Like, I just, I don't understand. I don't get it. And, you know, it may not be for me to get. And I'm totally open to hearing other people's point of views. Like I said, I'm trying to come at you guys with just the facts and give, like, a impartial opinion but just uh, there's a lot of things that never made any sense to me when reading that story and when I chose to pick her as my true crime for women's month just reading it again reminded me of the headache that I got from just not understanding and the missing links and just very sus either way that is our true crime podcast for Friday the 13th, Women's Month special. I really hope that you guys enjoyed it. As always, if you liked what you heard, please subscribe to this podcast. And if you have any requests, any questions, comments, or concerns, if you just want to chitty chat, hit me up on any one of my socials. I predominantly use Instagram and Twitter, all OMGG underscore 1989. I would love to converse with you guys. And I really, really, really want to talk about things that you guys want to talk about. There is an event in New York that is coming up that I would like to shed light on. 
Um, and even if you're not in New York, there is a potential way for you to participate. However, I'm not going to release that information until I have every single detail for you guys. And I am in communication with that uh, organization and they're working on getting the final details and putting something together for me to present to you guys in a cohesive manner. So be on the lookout for that. But it is, again, around women's month and just women awareness and it kind of goes into just basic human rights, which was an issue in this true crime case. But with that being said, I enjoyed chatting with you guys today. I hope you enjoyed it. And I'll be seeing you soon. Loves and likes ya. Bye. Good talk. See you next week.